right, we'll have all the, the passages, uh, all of the passage up on the screen. I don't know how many of you um, engage in teaching. One of the things that I've discovered each time is that most of what God has me studying um, is probably the most difficult part is, is applying it to my own life. And uh, this week certainly isn't any different. <laughs> um, there have been many times where I've wanted to make excuses, and we're going to look into the excuses of the lame man at the pool of uh, Bethesda today. And uh, just to give you some background on how we got to chapter 5, Jesus had been already baptized. He had turned the water into wine. He'd walked on water. Uh, he cleared the uh, temple court. Um, he had met the woman at the well, and we come to chapter 5, and he's back in Jerusalem. And he walks into this area. For those of you who may not know, Jerusalem's at the, at the heart of Israel there. And uh, we come to verse 1. And after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up from Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda with five porticos. Um, these, these porticos are these hallways with, with huge columns um, were a place of gathering. And normally during that time, um, or during, during any given time, there'd be two to 300 people in these porticos. So you'd wonder how big it is. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to kind of show you where this is. This is Jerusalem back in the day, so to speak. The arrow is pointing to the sheep gate, and the pool is circled there. And you can see that the pool is right outside a gate called the sheep gate, and you might wonder why. Well, if you see just below that arrow in the lighter portion, I'm colorblind, I think it's yellow, cream, I don't know. A little box there. Um, that's the court of women, and just below that is where the, where the actual temple and the Holy of Holies is. The pool at uh, Bethesda is where they cleaned the sheep before they went through the sheep gate um, for slaughter, for, for the offering to God. So this was not a clean pool. This was not a place that you would want to hang out and swim or drink from. This was dirty. Yet all these people gathered around this portico. This is one artist's uh, rendition. You see they call it four sides and, and, and then the one in the middle. So you have these huge colonnades and then this depth. You can kind of see the depth there. It's about three stories deep was the pool. Okay, between these porticos. This is what it looks like today. So it's in ruins. And this is a little bit better view. You can see that they had the stairs there where they'd walk the sheep down, clean the sheep in the pool, and then bring them back up through the sheep gate for the sacrifice. And um, if you go back up here, okay, while all that was happening, now we're at Passover at this time. They estimate that there are two to 3,000 people filling these colonnades. And Jesus walks up to one man. And that brings us, if I can get there, maybe. Did I shut myself off? There we go. Verse 3. In these days lay a, a multitude of those who were sick and blind and lame and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever was first after the stirring of the water stepped in and was made well from whatever disease 
um, with which he was afflicted. Now, I want you to take notice that part of this passage is in italics. There's a reason for that. The earliest manuscripts did not include that part. If you have an NIV Bible today, you'll notice that it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. The um, editors of the NIV decided that it wasn't supposed to be in there. However, the New American Standard editors believed that this was a clarification that was added, and, and they also believed that it was simply giving a reason for why the people were gathered around this pool. It was their belief. It is not necessarily understood that that's what happened at that pool, but that's why the people were there. The thing is, they put their hope in something that would happen in the pool. And I think that is going to be a good foundation for what we're going to talk about. brings us to verse 5. A certain man was there who had been with this affliction 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in this condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? I've kind of wondered why is it that that Jesus picked out this one guy. And as things always go with the Lord, um, I resolve myself to this. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants to accomplish. And sometimes we just don't know when he's going to choose us. Going on in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am coming, another steps before me. And Jesus said, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. We're going to look at four excuses that this lame man made for not putting his hope in Jesus, for not trusting Jesus, for not being able to follow Jesus before Jesus reached him in verse 7. The first excuse was this, that I have no man. And we've gone to great lengths here at the church to talk about this idea of belonging, the us, that the Christian life is necessarily interdependent. And we don't want for a second for us to understand this particular excuse to be uh, speaking against that philosophy that we have here at Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church. We desire community. So how does this work? Individually, as we are feeling like we are in a hopeless situation, our focus has to be on Jesus collectively as a community. Our job for each other, our our commandment by the Lord is, as long as it's called the day, encourage one another to faith, it works, good deeds. So we're not saying that individuality is right. Ken has went to great lengths to tell us that autonomy is not a biblical concept. Don't get hung up on that. But the excuse is this. I have no man. And when we face what seems like impossible, uh, things that are impossible, are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus or fix our eyes on men? Every day that I ride my motorcycle to work, when I go home in the evening, I make a turn up a Haylake Point Road. And it seemed in the first couple of weeks Every day I hit this little pothole that was this big in the road. I'm like, the road's big. Why am I always hitting this one pothole? And I'm a little slow, so it took me a couple of weeks. And I I remembered uh, my motorcycle safety training class. And the first night, the instructor said um, that there was a gentleman that, that he worked with that was complaining that every day he went to work, he hit the same potholes. I thought, oh, it must be a spirit or something. Um, And... And he asked the guy, he said, well, where are you looking? He says, well, I'm looking at the potholes. 
And he said, when you're riding a motorcycle, you can't look at the hazards. You have to fix your eyes on a point ahead of you and make the appropriate action to avoid the barrier, the pothole, whatever it is. And I got to thinking. First of all, I corrected my action when I go up Hale 8 Point Road and I don't hit the pothole anymore. But really, this is a lot like what Jesus is telling us. You know, a lot of times we focus on the pothole, we focus on the challenge, we focus on the hurt, we focus on the thing that is giving us the most pain or discomfort or making us the most uncomfortable. And we're making excuses. The pothole is there. This, this, this man, he, he, had, he, had no, he had no man, and he was focusing on not having any man. He says, no, fix your eyes on Jesus. A second excuse in verse 7 is this. When he answered and he said, I have no man to put me into the pool, now all at once it became about where he was, where he stood, what position he was in. For us here today, it can be about our geographical area, where we live. Oh, I'm on vacation. I don't witness when I'm on vacation. <laughs> Students, for you, graduates especially, you've had, as I've heard in all of these prayers, you've had a church home. You've had the security of your home um, with your families. You've had support here at church. And you go away to college, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard students, when I ask them if they found a church yet, well, no, I'm busy and I'm at school, and just being here, I, I, I just don't have time. Our location cannot be an excuse for not following Jesus. This summer, a few of our senior hires are going to be going on a trip called We're in Minnesota. And the way this works is I, I adhere a map of Minnesota to a piece of foam core, and we throw a dart at that map, and as long as that dart lands within three hours of our current location, whatever it is for that day, we drive to that town and we minister. The beginning of that day starts with prayer. We have no idea before that dart is thrown where we're going. We ask God for divine appointments. We pray that God will provide ministry opportunities that we might be Jesus to the community that we enter into. And the thing that this trip teaches, one, is dependence on God. Two, wherever your feet are, you can follow Jesus. Wherever your feet are, you can serve Jesus. Wherever your feet are, you can put your hope in Jesus. We cannot make the excuse that our location determines our hope in Christ. Are you limiting God's ability and, and are questioning his desire to work in your life no matter where he takes you? I think um, having been in the Air Force uh, basic training, Jake, um, this is going to be really important. <laughs> um, there, there are times when you're cleaning the floor with your toothbrush, you're going to wonder. <laughs> and... Um, you know, our, our circumstances there, where we're at, our location does not, it cannot be an excuse for us to not follow Jesus. The third one is this. So he's talked about there's no man and he's not going to put me in the pool. And he said, when the water is stirred up, this third excuse is simply circumstances. The conditions aren't right. We can't have our hope, our faith, 
our desire, our wanting to follow Jesus be determined by the circumstances around us. And the only way I can get through a day when they're tough is this. This is not my home. My home's in heaven and the day will come when there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering. Our our faith can't waver because of stuff that happens here. Is your trust in Jesus dependent on circumstances? It can't be. Don't let it be. You see, this man at the pool, he was sitting there hopeless. Why? Because he saw that his only hope was getting into the pool when his only hope was standing right in front of him. What he didn't realize was in every circumstance, Jesus is there. I have to ask ourselves a few questions. Are these the circumstances that you're dealing with today? Whether you're adults or graduates? your family falling apart? Did you fail graduates to get into the college that you wanted to? Students, have you just broke up with someone that you thought you were going to live with forever? (laughs) Those are always tough times I hear about those. Adults, have you missed the job or the promotion that you were hoping for? Are you falling into the same sin it seems like every day? Are you blaming that on your circumstances? You know, I, I think that as, as I was reading through this this week, and, and some of you know that the last few weeks have been really difficult for us, and, and sorry, Sherry, i got to tell this story because it fits. But my life example of not letting circumstances affect faith and hope and love and the following of Christ is my wife. Um, For those of you who don't know, for 15 years she's dealt with chronic pain. She hasn't had a day in 15 years where she hasn't felt good. She just doesn't feel good any day. And her faith never wavers. Her circumstances do not affect her faith or her hope or her ability and desire to follow Jesus. And I could have never asked for anyone better in my life. Our circumstances cannot dictate our hope in Christ. The fourth one is this. While I'm coming up, Another steps down before me, and I think about these things. Is it always someone else's fault? Are we we always blaming our inability to put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus on someone else? We are responsible for our relationship with God. Graduates, you cannot blame wherever you end up on anyone else but you. I remember um, um, listening to Dave Ramsey talking about financial peace. And the very first chapter, he says this when it comes to our financial situation. His first words are, it's your fault. It's nobody else's. Stop blaming everybody else. <laughs> you know? we we got to quit blaming people for where we're at. It's not anybody else's fault. 
I think about my favorite movie. It's To End All Wars. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but it is a, a World War II movie about a prison camp. I believe it's in Thailand. Don't quote me on that. But I believe these Scottish prisoners were taken to Thailand. There was one American in this camp. It's a story about how these guys were in the worst of the worst conditions in this prison camp. And there was one guy who was, um, he was the pastor of, of the group. And he got together with this other guy who was a teacher, and they decided it doesn't matter that we're prisoners in a camp. We're going to teach these prisoners to respond to our captors as Christ would respond. And they did. And I don't want to give away the movie, but to the very end, they did. And it is one of the um, most accurate uh, examples of the gospel that Hollywood has ever brought out, and it's a, it's a secular movie. It's not a Christian movie at all, but they didn't let their circumstances determine their faith and hope in Christ. They kept it to the very end. So what excuses are we making? Um, adults, in case you forgot that this isn't for us too, we, we have to quit making excuses. Jesus is standing before us and he's saying, I want to give you something. Graduates, he's standing before you today saying, I have so much to offer you. I have so much more to offer you than what this world does, than what the pleasures and pursuits of this world does. Are you willing and wanting to take it? We have to stop making excuses and just answer Jesus, do we want it or not? Because finally, Jesus looks at us and says this, this is the hope for me. This is the real hope for me in verse 8. Arise and take up your pallet, take up your mat and walk. Jesus wants to give you these good things. He's asking us, I believe, in the context of this passage to stop making excuses as to why we won't do that. Because what he has to offer is life, life in abundance, and life eternal. So no matter, graduates, where life takes you in these next several years, whatever plans that you have, if they turn out exactly the way you had hoped or don't turn out at all the way you thought they would, Don't make an excuse, but fix your eyes on Jesus. And be a part of something that is bigger than you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you uh, again for our graduates. Um, I, I thank you for the blessing that they've been uh, to this church and to their families. And... Um, Lord, the, the prayer over them just a few minutes ago was a commissioning and ascending. There are things that they have been taught that each parent is hoping they take into this world and become part of the kingdom. And we, we just ask you, God, to protect them, to grow in them, to not make excuses, but to fix their eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a short video um, just to honor our graduates, and I hope you enjoy it. Afterwards, um, you are dismissed.
Sometimes I think What will people say of me When I'm only just a memory When I'm home where my soul belongs Was I loved no one else would show up Was I Jesus to the least of us Was my worship more than just a song Sea. 
I'm skipping rocks across those ocean waves Still building buoy rafts And sailing on the catching back And running wild across Alaskan plains And all my yesterdays don't seem so long ago All those early years will always seem like home somehow And it was real life And it was real good It was a place I took for granted Cause I just never understood And it was real pain And there were real tears But the way my mom This is real life 